You're listening to our weekly podcast, Getting in the Word with Stuart Guthrie. Stuart is the teaching pastor of Family Bible Fellowship of Ridgeville in Early Branch, South Carolina. We hope to grow together with you, seeking real knowledge from the truth, the Word of God. Here's Stuart. I've come to the conclusion that people like a finished product. I think we can all agree finished products are beneficial. They are a blessing. The newness of a finished product is many times brings about a feeling of accomplishment. We've made it to the end, so to speak. There is joy in knowing that whatever has been has come to a close and the enjoyment of that work or effort is now able to be experienced. But if I can be completely transparent with you this morning, I want you to know that I highly dislike I-95 in South Carolina, specifically. The traffic is terrible. It's like, if you zoom in on 95, it's like looking at the moon. There's just crater holes everywhere. And I think we could all agree that We would like to see it be redone and fixed. But let's just be honest. No one would enjoy the struggles of waiting all those years to see it unfold and become new, smooth, a better flow of traffic. But the reality is if construction is going to ever take place, there would be hassles. There would be waiting around in traffic more so then than than we have now. It would be a more messed up system than what we could imagine. But the fact is this. We can't experience that which only a finished product can provide without discomforts at some level without some level of struggle, and even in life, sufferings. We need to come to grips with the fact that the completed work of Christ did not and would not come without the sufferings in which Christ faced. Without all of those gruesome, horrible realities that Jesus was up against when He was crucified on the cross. We could have never experienced the benefits of the finished work of Christ had He not finished the task and suffered because here's the truth, our sin was just that bad and still is that bad. That it would take that gruesome act at Calvary in order to pay the penalty of the sin for which we experience. We could not experience the everlasting hope of eternal life without the everlasting Son of God dying on our behalf. Will there be pain? Yes. Just ask the mother of Jesus who watches her son hanging on a cross, dying for your sin, but not only your sin and my sin, but her sin. Because if I can remind you that the mother of Jesus was not sinless, she isn't worthy to be prayed to, She is just like you and just like me in need of a Savior to die on a cross to pay for her sins. We need Jesus to finish the work that He began so that you and I can benefit from the blessings of His sufferings. So they crucified Jesus. The satisfaction of Almighty God to see His Son lifted up and crucified. Here in verse 25 of John 19, we are told, Now beside the cross of Jesus stood His mother. 
his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. And here his mother, in sheer pain, to watch the suffering of her very own child that must suffer, that she might live eternally, she is pierced through, beaten, right before her very eyes. It was the unfinished work. It was the process that was painful for her to experience. It was the payment, though, that was necessary. It was the fulfillment, again, of the satisfaction by God that she, his mother, watched unfold before her very eyes. And I think many times we don't acknowledge the fact that here, Jesus, all of this is unfolding before His mother. It wasn't something that she was not aware of that would have unfolded in some regards. Because if you recall in the book of Luke, specifically chapter 2, she was told of this very event in some manner. It was spoken of as a righteous man, a devout man filled with the Spirit, who was waiting and looking for the consolation of Israel. This righteous man's name was Simeon. The Holy Spirit, we are told, revealed to him that, that he, Simeon, would not see death until he had seen the risen Christ, the Lord Jesus. And here in Luke 2, 27-35, while he did not see the risen Christ, he saw Christ Himself. And as we flip over there to Luke, if you will, chapter 2, I want us to read verse 27-35. to 35. 27-35. I'll start in verse 25. There a man was in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought the child Jesus, to carry out for him the customs of the law, he took him into his arms and blessed him and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, for which you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel." And his father and his mother were amazed at these things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rise of many in Israel for a sign to be opposed. And then here in verse 35, notice what he says to the mother of Jesus. They soared, were pierced, even your own soul, to the end that thoughts of many hearts may be relieved. She had been foretold that her own soul would be pierced. Last week we talked about the sufferings of Christ. We talked about the sacrifice that took place in His sufferings, in the soldiers and how they sacrificed the temporal for that which is eternal. And here we see the suffering again through the sorrows of the mother of Jesus. It must have been hard to know that your mother would deal with this pain. Because I don't know about you, but it only takes a second for me to ever imagine watching your son be brutally crucified, suffering. Not only 
simply for the sins of the world. That's heroic. I mean, don't we say that all the time? Go into the highways and byways and preach the good news. And if you are martyred for your faith, well done, my good and faithful servant, we tell our children Christ will say. It's another thing to watch your son die on your behalf. Mary's child beaten, hung on the cross for her. Mom is standing at the cross, looking at her son, pierced with pain. It was for you that He did what He did, that you and I, she, might enjoy the finished product of the satisfying of God. The satisfying of God through the death of His very own Son. We are told as well that John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, is also standing there watching it all. John clarifies this and vent as he says in verse 26 to 27, So when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took his mother into his household. We have just got a glimpse into the love that Jesus has for His mother, the care for her even after His departure. The Lord knows that His time on earth is complete. It's up. It's finished. His time has arrived. And He is making sure that this disciple whom Jesus loved is now going to be her provider and her protector. But remember... It would seem that you would have thought Jesus would have said to his own brother, take care of mom as I depart. But remember, they did not believe until at least after the resurrection. So Mary believed though, and the Lord maybe wanted to make sure that she would be yet under godly influence. We can relate to that in some extent as we want our children around others that will exemplify Christ's likeness and encouragement. You know, the old saying is, trash in is trash out. And if you love the person whom you are departing from, you want to make sure that they have godly influence in their life that will genuinely, biblically, from a biblical worldview, watch over them, protect for them, and provide all of their needs. And I would even say as we probably as adults should consider ourselves those who influence our lives. Whatever the divine reason that Jesus purposes this, from that time on, from that hour, as John says, He took that responsibility. Now we believe and most believe that the disciple whom Jesus loved is John himself. John doesn't mention his own name he, he kind of hides it throughout the book of John. And so we have to kind of investigate and understand who he's talking about as he you know, hides his name from public reasoning. So Jesus prepares so that the things he started, he can finish. The things that he had been sent to do. There are two things that I would like for us to see as we go throughout the rest of this passage is first I want you to see and understand that our, our faith is a firm faith. And secondly, I want you to see that our faith is a finished faith. Let's consider first that our faith is a firm faith. We don't believe in, in a faith that is empty or a faith that fails to come without Amazing proofs. The, the evidences that we have are, are indeed many. And while, while we may read the text of Scripture and, and we may not be proficient in understanding how all of the Word ties together, I'm here to remind you this morning that the Old Testament speaks of that which is in the New. 
It, it, it predetermines the plan that will unfold. And Jesus' predictions are all unfolding, many of which we see in the process of the crucifixion of Christ. And thus, Christ fulfills these testimonies here in the process of the crucifixion. He says in verse 28, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had been accomplished, to fulfill the Scriptures, said, I am thirsty. Jesus was doing the Father's will. And through doing these, Christ was in the middle of fulfilling Scripture itself. It says that knowing all things, here we see God in flesh, the Son of God, divine ability to be omniscient meaning that He is all-knowing. As we understand the attributes of God, every person of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, all share the same attributes, and they are all together fabricated throughout their lives and how they operate. And here we see God in flesh, fully God, yet fully man, understanding what is coming. He knew that His work on earth was over almost. His work in the body. And all that needed to take place for Him to fulfill Psalm 69.21, it says, He will be given vinegar and gall to drink. And right here in our passage of Scripture, we see it take place. It's not surprising though, you may say, well that's just a fluke. Well, it's not a fluke. If we understand all of the prophecies that are unfolding before our eyes, it's really encouraging to know that you have a firm faith, my friends. You don't just have some self-man-made, created, fabricated theology of, of Christ. No, you have a, a sound proof of doctrine of who Christ is and what Christ did. And it was all a fulfillment of what the Old Testament thousands of years before predicted would unfold. We can't even get the weather right. And many give more credit to the Weather Channel than they do the Bible. And I believe it's because many times we're just ignorant of the Bible. Many times when I don't understand the things of the Scriptures, it's not because they're not there. It's because Stuart Guthrie is ignorant to them. Because I don't know about you, this book is a, is a book of great depth. And when you begin to study it and you begin to read it and you begin to dive into it, it makes you feel like you don't really know anything because of the depths of the truth that are found within the pages of God's Word. So we have many fulfillments taking place right here in the crucifixion process. As a matter of fact, Isaiah 53, 7 says that He will not open His mouth to defend Himself. And we see this fulfillment even just prior in John chapter 19 when Pilate brings Him in and asks Him a question. And the text says, what? He said, nothing at all. Don't you know who I am? I have the authority. You know, you got nothing, Pilate, unless it had been given to you from above. He also says in Matthew 27, 12, And while he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he did not answer. He was silent. He didn't lash back. He didn't complain. No, the king remained silent to his offenders, except through prayer for them. It said that he would be beaten and spit upon in Isaiah 50, verse 6, and we see that fulfillment as well in Matthew 26 and Matthew 27. It said that he would be numbered among transgressors, and we see that fulfillment from uh, Isaiah 53, 12 take place, in which we looked at last week as he was hung between two criminals, two thieves on the cross. It said that he would be pierced from Zechariah 12.10. And while we haven't gotten there yet, we will. And we notice in John 19.34, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water came out. It said that his hands and his feet would be pierced in Psalm 22.16 and Zechariah 12.10. 
which was fulfilled in all of the Gospels in which Christ was crucified. And not only was He crucified by Roman crucifixion, He must have been crucified by Roman crucifixion because the Jews stoned people. They didn't crucify people. And therefore, the Jews, in their own ignorance, fulfilled the very Scriptures by demanding Pilate have Jesus crucified. All part of God's unfolding plan, predicted thousands of years in advance. It's said that the Jewish Passover sacrifice and Jesus Christ's sacrificial death coincided exactly. And the dates on which Jesus was taken by the Roman authorities and slain also coincided precisely with the Jewish Passover. And Jesus became the Passover lamb, slain for the sins of mankind. John 29, our text reads, a, a jar full of sour wine was standing there. And so they put the sponge full of the sour wine upon the hyssop branch and brought it up to his mouth. We read that and we think, oh, that was pretty neat. But let me tell you, that's an amazing unfolding event of a, a predictive format of what would take place. If you recall, after the Passover described in Exodus chapter 12, verse 21, God instructed the Israelites to what? Kill a lamb. We call it the Passover. To kill a lamb with no blemish. And to put blood on their doorpost. And when the death angel would pass over, whoever doors were covered in the blood of the Lamb, the death angel would pass over, and whoever's wasn't their firstborn would lose their life. Jesus fulfilled Moses' prophecy of the Passover Lamb because it's through His blood that you and I can be covered and saved from death. And we can live for eternity with Him in heaven. But what was it in our passage of scriptures that the soldiers gave the sponge full of sour wine to Jesus on? Hyssop. Flip over, if you will, to Exodus 12. Starting in verse 21. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Exodus 12, 21, Go and take for yourselves lambs according to your families and slay the Passover lamb. You shall take a branch of hyssop and dip it in the blood in which is in the basin and apply some of the blood that is in the basin to the lentil and the two doorposts, none of you shall go outside of the door of the house until morning. Here the very same hyssop is used to reach up and to give Christ His sponge. John wants us to get and understand that these are not just words. These are words that are, that are taking us back to this very event that pictured the future Christ who would be the sacrificial lamb, who would be the perfect, spotless, unblemished lamb who would die and your, for yours and my protection. He said it, his bones would not be broken in Psalm 34, 20. And Exodus 12 states that the Passover's lamb bones are not to be broken either. And we'll see the fulfillment of this in John 19.33, which says, But when they came to Jesus and saw that He was already dead, they break not His legs. It said they would divide His clothing and cast lots for them in Psalm chapter 22, verse 18. We see that fulfillment in John 19, 23 to 24. It's said that there would be given vinegar and gall for him to drink in Psalm 69, 21. We see the fulfillment in Matthew 27, 34. But after tasting, he refused to drink it. It's said that he would say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? In Psalm chapter 22, we see the fulfillment as he cries out in Matthew 27, 46. As he cries out this very statement. 
It said that his body would not decay in Psalm 16.10. We see the fulfillment of this in Acts 2.31. It said that he would be resurrected from the dead in Psalm 16, chapter 10. And we see the fulfillment of this in Luke 24. It said that he would ascend into heaven in Psalm 68.18. And we see that fulfillment as well as he ascends to the right hand of the Father. It said that he would be seated at the right hand of God in Psalm 110, fulfillment of Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, and, the, and, his, and he is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature, and upholds all things by the word of his power when he made purification of sins and he set doubt at the right hand of majesty on high. Listen, we don't have some phony faith We have a faith that has been predicted over and over and over. And we come to the New Testament and we see the fulfillment over and over and over. And we still have people who deny Christ. We still have people who deny the crucifixion. That it was sufficient to pay for our sins. Don't think that God did not know what would happen In our day, as we see people all over the world trying their hardest to discredit the Word of God, God lays out undoable proofs. He provides and protects so that Christ, listen, would finish the task and be a benefit and a blessing to all who would put their faith in Him. Some will say, oh, well, Jesus just knew the Old Testament well and did these things. You know, as a young Christian, I thought those very things. Well, he just, you know, he just accomplished these things. And I mean, he knew the Old Testament very well. They just did those things. And then, you know, you start thinking about it. and You're like, okay, well, he had something to do with not breaking his legs after he died, huh? No. Oh, people plan their own births, don't they? Hanging on the cross, he can, he can really kind of probably just talk him into gambling for his clothes and fulfilling that prophecy. What do we do with the resurrection from the dead? You think he told the soldiers, hey, make sure you give me the right kind of drink so I can make this thing look real? Listen, over 333 prophecies fulfilled. And many people will reject. Many people will refuse to believe. Our faith is not some blind faith, but it is a firm faith. One that could be stood upon. And one, Christ made it possible by fulfilling these prophecies and providing a finished product. Your salvation and my salvation. That we might have hope and that we might have eternal life. How do we apply these truths of a gruesome crucifixion to our own lives? I think we can build a trust in God's Word as we watch the fulfillment of prophecy unfold. Because I don't know about you, God has allotted to each a measure of faith. But through life, there will be a time in which God will grow your faith. He will test your faith. And these are just proofs that I believe we can put, hide in our hearts, to be encouraged that God's Word is certainly reliable and sufficient. Sufficient for everything in our lives that we need. He's given us everything pertaining to life and to godliness through His Word. So let me ask you a question. What do you do with Christ? Because what you believe about Christ matters. Christ is not some genie in a bottle that you just rub when you need something. Yeah, we go to Christ when we're in need. Of course, we do that. He says... Come to me, all who are weary. Yes, He wants you to come to Him. and He he wants you to pray to Him. Pray without ceasing. 
What you believe about Christ will change how you live your life. It will change how you treat others. It will change how you view others who don't look like you, who don't act like you, who don't talk like you, who don't live like you. Because when you understand that the cross was sufficient for all, all means all, every single human being to ever walk the face of the earth, Christ is sufficient to save them. But they must respond to the call of God and repent of their sins and trust the gospel. But if we understand what Christ has done for us and that He has done it for everybody, when we have been saved, when we have believed the gospel, when we have been transformed by the power of the work of Jesus, when we have benefited from His finished work on the cross, you will be granted the desire within your heart to go and to tell others about Christ. There must be a desire in your heart to proclaim Jesus to the world. You have been given the gift of salvation, the greatest gift of all time. You get to experience the hope and the joy of eternal life. And He did it all for you. It'd be like waking up tomorrow and driving down I-95, four-lane, smooth, and you never had to endure the pain of traffic jams and bumps in the road. Perfect. He's done that for you. So what do you do with Christ? For those who have already placed their faith in Christ, it ought to give you a boldness about your faith. That ought to give you the ability to stand with proud to know that God has protected His Word. And these people who want to discredit and add and say, oh, you know they've lost all these hidden books. Listen, be obedient to the 66 God gave you. He could have given you 10,000 if He wanted you to have 10,000. If He is the God of the universe who has created and, and breathed into your nostrils the breath of life, do you think that He's not capable of containing and protecting and giving us the emphatical truth of God's Word contained in 66? But we would rather buy into some conspiracy theory that there are books hidden under the Vatican. Okay, let's see them. And even if you find them, that doesn't make them inspired, my friends. You can go on witch hunts trying to find anything in this life you want, but my friend, if we will not be obedient and believe what's been revealed by God through His written revelation, we won't be obedient to anything. We'll just continue to deny truth so that we can go about our ways and accomplish what we want to and never be concerned with what God wants us to be concerned with. And that is gospel clarity. He has given us, my friends, a firm faith for which we can be bold in. So yes, your faith is firm. It's not shaky. It's not fickle. It's a faith that is rooted and fixed. Like that is a post driven in the ground and filled with concrete and rebar. It is a firm, solid foundation. But I want you to understand, secondly, our faith is a finished faith. It's a completed faith. It's a faith that is done. It's a faith that has been paid for once and for all. He says here in verse 30, Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, He said, It's finished. And He bowed His head and gave up His spirit. I want you to know this is a powerful statement, powerful phrase. One that we ought to become acquainted with, that when we share the good news, the hope of Jesus Christ, we can tell people Jesus said, it is finished, paid in full, to telestize what it says. It's a statement that is packs a powerful punch. It's a Statement that provokes the devil. 
because the price has been paid, God uses the ugly sin of this world to be overcome by Christ. He uses the sin for these men that desperately wanted Christ to be killed. He uses that sin to accomplish His grand purpose. He gives them what they want. And in giving them what they want, they are guilty. Think about that for a minute. All they wanted was Christ to be crucified. Crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Kill him, get him out of the way. He's, he's, he's a false teacher. He's blasphemous. He claims to be God. Get rid of him, kill him. And in, and in the ability that God gave them to accomplish what they sought after, condemn themselves. Know this, my friend. God is a loving and gracious and compassionate God. But if you want something bad enough, be careful because He may give it to you. And you may get what you seek after. And that which you seek after may be that which condemns you. Statement. The fact that He is even able to speak at this point is staggering. He's been beaten. He's been marred. He's been flogged. He's had to carry His cross. As far as he could until he could bear it no more. Until he had to have someone else help him. He's then pierced through, beaten, hung on a cross, nailed to a cross. He hangs there. He's mocked. He's sitting in the hot sun. But he speaks, doesn't he? He says it's finished. I remember... In all of my years of being a pastor, I've visited many hospitals. I've watched people on their deathbed. I've watched people take their last breaths. I've watched families crushed from the lost of loved ones who did not know Christ, who had no hope. And one of the things I'm always, that sticks in my mind, is how dry the mouths of those loved ones get at their deathbed. I remember watching my grandmother as her mouth was washed with a wet sponge to give her the ability to simply speak. And I believe what we find here is Jesus in His last dying moments, literally unable to speak because of the pain, the shock, and the dryness of His mouth. All of the pain that He has endured. And he's given this sour, sour wine. It gives him the fluid and the moisture he needs to speak this final word. It is finished. To tell a sty. Only found here in John. Don't confuse this cheap wine with the wine that was offered to Christ before the cross. This was given by means of prolonging suffering on the cross. But Christ needing to speak this most important phrase, takes this cheap wine, not the wine that was given to relieve pain, but prolong it. And so He takes it so He can speak. He understands it is finished. The finished product. The plan of God unfolded before our eyes. The satisfying work of Jesus. It means complete. The word here, to telestai, means paid in full. It was a tax term that was used. If you owed a tax bill and you couldn't afford to pay it, I would step in and pay that tax bill. And on that tax bill, I would simply write paid in full. I mean, you owed nothing. You did nothing to obtain it. It was by the grace and mercy of God that He had stamped upon your life, paid in full. You need to do nothing but trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
It isn't your works. It isn't your deeds. It isn't your efforts. It is the work of God in which He completed the task of God to bring about salvation to all of those who would be His children. I don't know who you are this morning, and I don't know if you need Christ, but I'm here to tell you it has been paid for, and today is a day of salvation. If you will believe the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and place your faith, my friends, it will be for you that it has been paid in full. But if you reject, oh, the cross is sufficient for all, but it is only efficient to those who believe. And let me tell you what, some of the most brilliant persons in the world have information here, but it has not moved to here. And until you transfer that information and God changes your heart and gives you a new heart and your eyes are open, it's not until then you can see. Until then, my friends, you are spiritually blind. And so you wonder, how in the world do these people believe all of this? And how do they understand the Word of God? And how do they grasp all of this? My friends, it's because they have trusted the Gospel and God has given them eyes to see. And I'm here to tell you, you may want it so bad. Listen, there is but one thing you can do, and that's believe the Gospel. That this was the finished work. This was the final piece of the puzzle. There was no missing puzzle piece in this puzzle set. No, God had fabricated it and organized it and saw it unfold from the Old Testament through the 400 years of silence. He began to build and to make and to fashion the gospel that it would go forth into all of the world to accomplish the great purpose in which Christ would be born from heaven into the world, live a perfect life for you and for me, die on a cross, give up His life. That's what's unfolded here. The finished work of Christ. Your faith is a finished faith. It's a faith that is fixated in this event. <laughs> Telestai gives the idea again of this debt that has been paid in full. Just before the arrest of Christ by the Romans, Jesus portrayed his last public prayer in what we call the high priestly prayer, asking the Father to glorify Him just as Jesus had been glorified by the Father on earth. He says here in John 17, 4 and 5, I glorified you on earth by accomplishing the work, by finishing the task to which you have given to me. Christ simply in obedience, knowing what He is going to happen to Him, still accomplishes the work. And in verse 5, And now you, Father, glorify me together with yourself. The glory which I had with you before the world existed. The work that Christ was sent to do was to seek and to save, my friends, that which was lost. He was sent to provide an atonement, a payment for the sins of the world. For all who would believe in Him. He, he was sent to reconcile, to make right sinful men to a holy God. Because if you're reminded in Isaiah 59 too, he said, your sins have made a separation between you and your God. There is this gulf, this impassable ability to get to God. Christ makes a way. All this from God who reconciles us to Himself through Christ and He gives us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ. Not counting men's sin against them. And He has committed us to us the message of reconciliation. None other but God in flesh could accomplish such a task. We are indebted to God. We are unable to pay the fee owed, but Christ does. And therefore Christ became our payment to God. 
Remember, there is none righteous, no, not one. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And here is our payment. Because we had a guilty verdict. And unless Christ did what He did, stood in our place, we would receive a guilty verdict from Almighty God. And so when I hear people say, well, you know, Pastor, I've lived a good life. I've done this or I've done that. Listen, you failed to see what Christ did on Calvary. You missed the work of God and the unfolding of its completed, finished work. He's saying, you, you don't have to do anything. But trust Christ and be saved. And when you trust Christ and you are saved, you are dwelt with the Spirit of God, giving you the ability now to be honoring to God, to please God by way of righteousness. Your righteous deeds don't save you. They are a byproduct of your salvation. Christ became our sin sacrifice. He, he made it possible that we, because of Christ on the cross, might be forgiven our debts. And you and I are not our own. You say, Pastor, man, I've heard this message a thousand times. It may be a thousand and one in which God opens your blind eyes. And it ought to be the prayer of all of our hearts, no matter how young or how old, that when people step into eternity, they will have put their faith in Jesus Christ. Because I'm here to tell you today, life is but a vapor. And while there may be a man in the pulpit preaching at your funeral, which you will have unless Jesus returns, the two greatest options you have the last of your days is a fancy ride and an expensive car and a good slideshow. Think about that for a minute. And then comes eternity where you will stand before Christ. So is the gospel important? You better bet it's important. It ought to bleed from our hearts, from our ears, from our eyes, from our veins, in everything we do ought to be gospel conversation. We are not our own. We've been bought with a price. All of that purchased you, sealed you into Christ. The Lamb's book of life has been written, my friend. The names are in the book. Wherever you stand theologically on that, know this, either you're in it or you're not. And if you're in it, my friends, you will trust Christ. And when you trust Him, your life will be forever changed. What will you do with Christ today? This book that gives proof of prophecy says you can't get there on your own. Will you believe or will you reject? There is no middle ground in Christ. The Scripture says you're either for Him or you're against Him. You're either a child of God or a child of the devil. And if you believe that you can get to heaven apart from the precious work of Christ, my friend, you have not been born again and you are not a child of God and you need to be saved. And if I could jump in you and cause you to believe, I would, but I can't. It is a work of the Spirit of God to open your blind eyes. You lack one thing, believe and be saved. Our faith is a firm faith. The Bible speaks of itself, predicts events thousands of years before they ever unfold. And He has finished the task. What will you do with Christ? He has made a way. He has given you the gift. He's, he's saying, take it. Open it. Receive Him today. Because today may be the last day that God gives you an opportunity to respond to the gospel. What you will never be able to say before the Lord is, my pastor never shared the gospel with me. 
At least I will not be held accountable. I might not preach doctrine super well to you. But the gospel, you will have a privilege and opportunity to respond about every week. What's holding you back today? Whether you're here, whether you're in the overflow, whether you're online, whether you watch this today, or you listen to it live next week, whatever it is, what's preventing you from responding to the good news of Jesus Christ? Because He said it's finished. It's paid in full. You just simply need to believe. Choice is yours. Believe or disbelieve. I remember my life before Christ. I remember lifestyles. I remember the evil that permeated my soul. Uh, I remember the lack of care of the things of God. I remember the beliefs that I had created that made me feel good about where I would spend eternity for which I had no clue about. But I'll never forget March 25, 2001 when I learned that Christ took all my sin and became my substitute. He took my sin upon Himself at Calvary that I might be saved. It was the greatest day of the rest of my life. And it's been a process in which God has grown and sanctified and disciplined and disciplined some more and disciplined some more and grew me in my relationship with Him. There is no greater decision for which you could ever make on this side of eternity than to place your faith in Jesus Christ. Because it is finished, my friend. Believe and be saved. Let's pray. This has been Getting in the Word with Pastor Stuart Guthrie. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. And be sure to visit us online at familybiblefellowship.org. And come see us in person on Sundays at 11 a.m.